Hey everybody, it's Jamie here. Before we start the episode, we just want to point out that this is a science fantasy horror film that we're going to be talking about this week. And as such, there are some heavy themes and images in the film that we'll be discussing, including self-harm, serious illness and loss of loved ones, and addiction. So we just want to let you know before we get into the episode, so that if this stuff is sensitive to you, that you know before we begin. Of course, we try to talk about these things in a thoughtful way, but now on to the episode. Oh, Jamie, do you think we're ever going to find Jack? I don't know. We've been wandering around inside of this shimmer for so long. I don't know if it's been minutes or weeks or days or hours. I don't even remember eating. I feel like I haven't eaten in weeks or minutes or possibly seconds. I can't even tell. Oh, here here it is. Here's the lighthouse. Oh, thank God. Maybe we can finally find a way to get out of this place. Oh, whoa, it looks weird in here. There's like vines all over the wall that are made out of concrete. Yeah, it looks like the stone has come alive. Wow, and there's a gigantic hole over there? Yeah, what is that? It looks like the lighthouse's butthole. Wait, I, I think I hear Jack. Yeah, I think you're right. It's coming from the hole. Oh, no! We better go down there and find him. Maybe we can finally get out of here. Alright, let's go down. Uh, it's kind of tight, but I, I think I see something down there. What? What is that? I can see it now. It's all beginning to make sense. Jack, is that you? I found it. At the center of it all, I found it. What did you find? Yeah, what's going on? Yeah, I don't understand. It's so much bigger than we could have imagined. It doesn't think like us. I don't know if it thinks, but I know its goals. Well, I don't know what to say about that, but we should get out of here. Wait, I want to know what's going to happen to us. There's no getting out of here. It's going to spread and spread and break everything down to its smallest components. But wouldn't that mean total destruction? Yeah, it sounds like a complete devastation. No, it's not really either of those things. Maybe there's going to be like an abolishment of the human race? No, it's bigger than that. It's definitely bigger than that. You're not talking complete extermination, are you? Okay, that that felt pretty good, but no, that's definitely not right. <laughs> I don't know if we'll ever figure this out, Jamie. I'm confused, and I just want to go home and eat. Or maybe not eat, I'm not sure. Wait, I think I've found the right word. It's going to be complete... Hello 
Hello, science fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Molkel, here with my non-Euclidean co-hosts. I'm Chelsea Hollowell, and I'm a deer that replicated itself, and now I have a twin with me wherever I go. Oh, that's so nice! Yeah, you know, I'm never alone. Wait, why does that other one have a skull for a face? Well, that's the original me. So I'm I'm the replicant, and I'm speaking for both of us. See, one version becomes the, the perfect version, and the other one has flesh. <laughs> I see. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to start with a controversial take. <laughs> <laughs> and it's good to be your own advocate like that. Yeah, you know, if you can't, who else is going to do it for you? You're a clone. That's true, but she can't speak. On the account of the no vocal cords? Right. It's so hard ascending. (laughs) It'll make sense to you guys later. Oh, God. I can't wait. I can't wait for something to make sense to me. Finally. (laughs) After all these years. Well, maybe I've got something that'll make sense. I'm Jack Olander. Oh, thank goodness. And I used to just be, you know... Walking around like some sort of chump. But now I'm a wall. (laughs) A wall? How did that happen? Oh, you know, some of my buddies helped me out. I was just a guy sitting in a chair. Now I'm a (laughs) 30-foot sphere of of fungus of all colors. Flesh, fungus, and bone merge into the perfect being. Yeah, it seems like you ascended too. Oh, yeah. I'm a... You know, I'm just... Uh, letting it all hang out. The spores, that is. You know? The only one of us that's left to ascend is Jamie now. I'm the dungeon manager. I've ascended a long time ago. <laughs> but you know who else is ascendant? Our patrons. <laughs> it's true. They are also unknowable masses of flesh who... Provide unto us vital lifeblood. It's true. They give us their patronage in the form of homage to our greatness. (laughs) And, you know, if you want to be an awesome ascended flesh being, too, you can head to patreon.com slash swords and satire. Check out our different tiers that you can sign up for and support us monthly. And when you do... You get some awesome bonus stuff, like episodes, duck art. And voting on the movies we watch each month. It's a pretty awesome place, and the more people that ascend to join our community, the better we will be as a whole. It's just like biology. If you split the DNA of our patronage and add to the growing mass, we will become bigger and more powerful. One satirist becomes two, becomes four, becomes eight, becomes 16, becomes... We will be a beautiful growth together. But guys, speaking of beautiful growth, this week, Science Fantasy Movie Month continues here at Swords and Satire because we're going to be talking about the 2018, I'm going to say it right now, masterpiece science fiction film, Annihilation. 
And you know, we've been talking about our glorious patrons. They're actually the ones who voted for this movie in our science fantasy movie poll. That's right. And I'm pretty sure that coming up this month for uh, the special patron episode, we're going to be talking about the differences between science fiction and fantasy, or possibly why science fiction and fantasy are often categorized together. That's right. So if you want to hear more about that and why we think science fantasy fits into our show, well, you can find out by becoming a patron. But what's the deal with Annihilation, right? It's adapted from a novel. It is adapted from a novel. That is one of the parts of its deal. Of the same name. It was directed by a human person. A humanoid. (laughs) And that human being's name is Alex Garland. It's adapted from the Jeff Vandermeer novel, which is the first in a trilogy. Guys, we sure love trilogies, don't we? We do. And I hope they're going to make more movies of the trilogy, but I, I don't have high hopes for that. Oh, I mean, I don't know uh, how the book ends, but we don't. We would have to meet a whole new suite of characters at this point. Most likely, yes. But it stars Natalie Portman, Oscar Isaac, Benedict Wong. Benedict Wong, whose name was not in the final credits, so thank you very much for pointing that out. Jennifer Jason Leigh, and some other wonderful actors. But guys, before we talk too much about the movie, I think Chelsea has a summary that she has been just waiting to share with you all. It's true. So in Annihilation, which is a propaganda term used by the humans in this confrontation. Fucking humans. A perfect being arrives on Earth and remakes the fabric of our world in its image. It is certainly much more colorful than the Earth we're used to. It's just better. Everything has rainbows. (laughs) Chelsea's like, let me into the shimmer. I'm good. I would live there. Not for long. Or forever. (laughs) Or forever, thank you. Exactly, thank you, Jack. My (laughs) DNA would be replicated everywhere. Quick question. How picky are you with the word live? (laughs) (laughs) Or or with the concept of how we live. Yes. How attached are you to sentience? (laughs) Are you willing to have none of it? Are you willing to have a lot more of it? (laughs) So this perfect... (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, this perfect being creates a biome unto itself. A chaos biome? Called the Shimmer. And a team of scientists enter its new home to try to thwart its sacred mission. To seek out new life and civilizations. To boldly go where no entity has gone before. To absorb all life and alter it by splitting it at a cellular level until it ceases to exist and also continues to exist for all of time. So you understand it is a most sacred mission. It's a it's a directive almost. <laughs> a prime directive? It comes before the rest. <laughs> In the end, the filthy scientists could not completely stop progress. It's a real Doctor Strange love, isn't it? <laughs> But I guess we should tell you a little bit about that scientific team. I don't think any of the doctors were named Strangelove. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Dr. Ventress is the psychologist and she's the leader. It's an all woman team. All scientist team. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I bet you assume that some of the scientists were men. (laughs) (laughs) Don't. (laughs) Don't. You would be wrong. That's just wrong. (laughs) That's an inaccurate uh, assumption about this film. Lena is the biologist. And in this version of her, she's a microbiologist expert. I like macrobiologist myself. Hmm. I'm an astrobiologist myself. Ooh, like a xenobiologist? Yeah, that would actually be very useful in this context. (laughs) Yeah, it would, actually, tremendously so. And Lena is our main character, our uh, perspective character. Then we have Anya, who is... A paramedic. A paramedic with former military experience. And Lena has former military experience. Seven years of service. She knows how to shoot a croc-a-shark. Yeah. Shark-a-gator? Hmm. <laughs> There's also Josie, a young physicist. Played by beloved uh, actor Tessa Thompson. And Cass. Oh, uh, she was the, she was the, uh, the nicest one. <laughs> She was the, the most nice tragic one. Yeah, well, yeah, the, the, trauma, the tra- traumatized one. Yeah. Well, I guess that's all we really need. Yeah, yeah. She was the one to lose. <laughs> right. And after their team has undergone some training at a military compound just outside of the Shimmer, they enter through it as a team. Whoa, wait. What what just happened right there? I don't know, but I feel sick and I have a headache. Oh man, I feel both hungry and very full. What were we even doing, guys? Do you remember where we were? Um, I think we were recording a podcast. I mean, the last I remember we were talking about the summary. Yeah, but why did we stop? How long has it been? I have no idea. Could be minutes. Or days. <laughs> or seconds. Or hours. Maybe we should just start over. Okay. Good idea, Jack. So we have this team of scientists, and they're in the shimmer, looking for the source of this interesting biome and phenomenon. And uh, they find a base camp. And they try to figure out what happened to the last team. Yeah, they find some nice home movies that the former soldiers who were in here made. Yes, um, and uh, it's pretty traumatic, so we won't re- recount it here. Just know, it's a tape called Spring Break 2016. <laughs> <laughs> For those who follow. And so they're kind of their team is kind of hounded by... Monsters? Actual actual predators in this crazy biome, but also their own eroding thoughts and psyche. They're beginning to develop dementia-like symptoms. Yes, and they're having more and more trouble having clarity of thought as they delve deeper. They're kind of picked off one by one. It's like a pandemic. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Too soon. And then they finally make it to the seashore and the lighthouse. Well, two of them make it. We watch Lena get there. (laughs) One of them makes it. (laughs) Another one was there. Dr. Ventress is at the lighthouse. 
But she she ascended. She became one with the entity. I would argue three of them made it to the lighthouse. That's fair, Jack. No, one of them gets there later. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, one was already there, too. Fair enough. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and when Lena finds Dr. Ventress, um, they have an interesting conversation. And then Ventress <laughs> becomes a being of light. Oh, that's nice. And enfolds into herself. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and this new being in its brilliance takes a bead of blood from Lena's face. <laughs> Great place to get blood. And completes the enfolding process, becoming a humanoid metal entity. <laughs> I like to think of myself as a humanoid metal entity. Eventually, it becomes a copy of Lena, and she dispatches of this horrible thing, in her mind, to us we know it's a perfect being. Yes. And she makes it back across the border, and we see her in the framing device that we started out with, where she's being interviewed about her experience. And she's the only one who made it back. An important point of order, at the beginning of the movie, we also see that Lena is reunited with her lost husband, Kane. Who had been gone for a year. Who was in the Shimmer for a year, they think. She finds out about that later. But at the end of the movie, she begins to realize that it probably wasn't Kane who came out, but his clone. His perfect cellular replica. But she asks him if he's Kane, and he just says... No. And then he asks her if she's Lena, and she just gasps and has a look on her face like, I don't know. (laughs) And then they hug. Oh, that's nice. You get to see in both of their eyes, they are both perfect beings. (laughs) Some sort of shimmer. (laughs) Yeah. It lives on in them. A thing of beauty will never fade away. (laughs) It's true. All right, well, I think um, if people aren't confused enough already, I think we should probably head into the Delve and really blow your minds. Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep in the themes, scenes, and lore of Annihilation. All right, guys, there's a lot going on in this movie. This is not our usual cup of fantasy. That's for true. This is a movie that has some very overt and then a lot more subtle themes and allegories and allusions going on. We've got the metaphor of cancer and cellular kind of cellular change, degeneration and replication. And then the direct story point of cancer as well. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, Lena is a cellular biologist who teaches about the proliferation of cancer cells. Right. And Ventress has cancer. We find out during the expedition that Ventress has been hiding her terminal cancer from the team. And that is very likely why she wanted to go into the Shimmer, so that she could pass on her own terms. Because nobody comes out of the Shimmer except Kane, who people think 
got out of the shimmer, but nobody knew that he got out of the shimmer. And he has no memory of how he got out. He just showed up at home suddenly after a year. Yeah, Kane 2 Remix Edition, when asked by the main character, like, oh, what's, uh, what do you remember? He's like, well, I remember being outside the bedroom, seeing you painting, and now I'm here. <laughs> it's like, uh... That was like five minutes ago. <laughs> so I think enfolded in our conversation about the overarching theme of cancer and what we're talking about now, we should take a brief detour and talk about time and how it's expressed in the movie. Yeah. So this is a movie that jumps around a lot. It starts at the end in a way because we're introduced to the framing device of Lena giving her report from her time inside the shimmer. Yes. And we learn right away that she's the only one that made it out. So they're letting you know right away not to get too attached to the characters, which is hard because they're mostly lovely. And we jump around in the story through flashbacks and jump cuts meant to disorient the viewer just as the characters are themselves disoriented. Yeah, it is... A very effective tool, I would say. It's meant to help you empathize with them. And it works pretty well, I think. I would say so. And, like I said, to disorient you. So that you're always kind of feeling like you're trying to get your bearings while you're watching the film. We also kind of get, like, these very brief asides that are telling a part of the story, too. Like, Lena has these recurring flashbacks to cheating on Kane with one of her fellow co-workers, another professor at Johns Hopkins. Fucking Dan. Fucking Dan, man. And She's, she was fucking Dan. She was fucking Dan, yeah. Um, we also kind of piece together throughout that arc that the reason Kane took this mission to go into the Shimmer was probably because he knew that Lena was cheating on him. So we're... Diving right into the main point I was going to bring up, nice. which is self-destruction. Awesome. Okay. It works because all of these themes are kind of enfolded in one another. So we can take another uh, side path. It's true. All themes become all other themes. Yes. And are broken down to one theme, which is every theme. Wow. Which is class struggle. That's right. But self-destruction, there's a scene when they are at the abandoned base inside the Shimmer. Lena has woken up from her sleep and did an experiment on some of her blood where she was viewing it under a microscope and some of it was gay. <laughs> can, now, can you explain for the listeners so that they know what that means? Yes, it was shimmering rainbow in the dark to show that it had been influenced by the alien. Oh, the alien is gay. I like that. Yeah. It that's makes nice. everything gay. We did already say it was a perfect being. Yes, that's right. And so with that in mind, Lena goes down to visit Ventress, who is taking the night watch. Yes. And they start to talk about how Lena's husband, Kane, took a mission that no one has ever come back from. And asks why Ventress would allow her, Lena's husband, to take a suicide mission. Yeah. And Ventress is like, is that what you think we're doing? You think we're committing suicide? Right? 
And she's like, oh, maybe, kind of, right? Yeah. And uh, Ventress makes the distinction between suicide and self-destruction. Can you repeat that for me? Because I'm kind of dead brain. Yeah. You're kind of... Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe I'm just becoming something else. Yeah, so Ventress is saying that almost nobody commits suicide, but that almost everybody commits self-destruction, and how it's programmed into every cell in your body, right? I like that interpretation. It, it feels right, even if you could take another perspective. It's true. I mean, it fits within the themes that the movie is pushing its characters towards. I think that's why it feels so right. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to agree with her because she's she's so uh upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> However, uh she makes a good point. She's the group psychologist. She has this strange detached dryness to her delivery that feels like she's dead inside. Yes. And so finding out that she is basically suffering through this terminal cancer Right. diagnosis is kind of adds a layer to that with the character. Right. That's right. It's also a good point about the self-destruction and why Kane took the mission. Yes. Similarly, Lena's actions, cheating on Kane, is what led to her own kind of spiral to where she follows Kane's footsteps into the Shimmer because of this guilt that she's built up over the years. Yeah, we find out in some of the flashbacks that she kind of grew to hate herself for cheating on Kane. But she also hates Dan, who she cheated with. She hates him just as much as she hates herself. Maybe more. Hopefully more. <laughs> but not Dan's wife. She's blameless in this. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> what a guy. What a stand-up guy. I felt bad for Dan, to be honest. I thought he seemed like a nice guy. He does like, seem nice. I, like, never feel bad for Dan. <laughs> I think he cares about Lena and he wants to have a relationship with her, but... He's very smug about it. I think that's part of his problem. All right. He's just aware of how attractive and great he is. And sure. It shows I mean, too much. Yeah. He's just egotistical. Yeah. You know, I, I'm i not sure. I'm happy you both found beauty in Dan. Because to me... <laughs> Only physical beauty. Okay, to me, he's just like the most eldritch thing in the movie. And let me explain why. <laughs> At the beginning, he's totally good, right? He's totally fine, but through flashbacks, like yeah. when they're having sex, right? He's just the most, like boring thing you've ever seen you're right just, he's just laying there he's just laying there and he's just like thanks <laughs> that was great <laughs> yeah it's right. like an exchange yeah yeah he doesn't like it's like yes the intercourse was satisfactory he, he was nearly dead he was like a corpse okay <laughs> hey. maybe he was self-destructing too maybe yeah i mean well, he's destructing he's destructing he's destroying his own marriage probably in yeah one way or another in all likelihood yes and she says like this was a mistake and he's just sort of lying there in the bed like he's been doing the whole time and he just <laughs> says he is like a limp fish yeah she's like this was a mistake he just goes Okay. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Jesus, Dan. <laughs> Does Dan even exist? And he, like, starts trying to talk to her, and she won't have it. And he's like, 
you know you don't hate me, right? You hate yourself. <laughs> She's like, nah, I hate you too, Dan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she doesn't deny her own self-hatred. Yeah, but, but she, she just adds the caveat that she also hates She him. doesn't let him have this one either. No. Dan is just... Take the L, Dan. Dan has such a hot take by saying to her, you don't, you know you don't hate me, right? You hate yourself. It's just like, why are you, what are you doing? What are you... <laughs> I like that we are never given a reason, not like a reason that Lena cheats, but just like... We don't see, I guess it has something to do with the fact that Kane goes on these long missions, but we never build a relationship between Lena and Dan beyond these very awkward interactions. And she and Kane obviously have a good camaraderie. We get to see in the flashbacks and like they're very close and they love each other, but they've become estranged. Yeah, I mean, there's a theme of loneliness throughout the movie where characters are lonely for a variety of reasons. Right. And I think Lena probably was cheating to feel connection while her husband was away on dangerous, life-threatening military missions, probably. Maybe. All the characters in the movie have loved and lost or are going through a loss of some type. And it kind of destroys a part of who they were. Yes. and It really annihilates them. Yeah. And actually, Cass points this out. In a conversation with Lena. So Cass and Lena were talking to each other about the mission and why people went on it and how they've all suffered a loss of some type. And Cass opens up to Lena about what she's gone through. And she says that she lost her daughter to leukemia in the past. And she says that it's like two bereavements. She lost her beautiful girl and the person she once was. Yeah, it's a really heart-wrenching scene that I think is super effective. And immediately gets cut off by something coming up. They don't really give you a lot of time to, like, process what she just said. No, the movie is really good at telling a little bit of story, but letting you fill in a lot of information through minimal dialogue, and then distracting you with something that is a visual spectacle that diverts your attention, even though it doesn't like tell a different story about what's going on. It tells about what, or what happened in the past or what they're talking about. It goes into this really distracting like next scene. And it works really well to keep the audience constantly in a state of never feeling like you can get comfortable with any of the information that's being presented to you. It's like we said before, you're, kind of constantly disoriented by design. Yeah, the movie could be described as someone going like, every mistake makes a snowball effect, and after countless mistakes over time, it just becomes easier to swim down. Hey, look at that! It's a... It's just really heavy monologues yeah. and then just like really cool stuff interrupting them. Yeah. Cool and horrifying. Yes. So. Distressing. Yes. So cancer is surrounding all the characters and the team and Oscar Isaac's character Kane, there's like an allusion that to cancer through his reaction to 
being ill and why they go to the compound in the first place. Right. When he comes to Lena and is like returned home after a year, he just suddenly starts having rapid onset organ failure and is like vomiting up blood. And all of his symptoms point to radiation sickness. Right. Which is what Lena brings up. And radiation is usually one of the treatments for cancer. So it is another allusion to tumors, cancer, that type of thing. And of course, he is in a way a cancer-like entity because this version of Kane is not the original Kane. It is the cellular copy. Yeah. It is the ascendant perfected Kane. Because even though it is in that state of complete failure, like with all its organs and stuff, it just recovers on its own. Well, it recovers and the shimmer is destroyed. Yes. Yes. It, like, instantaneously. You think it's like a simulacrum for the alien or I something? kind of well, think what, it is, What yeah. it's framed as is, like, a spontaneous remission. Right, exactly. Oh, yeah. But it's interesting that it heals. He, I'm going to say he, because it at this point, what I think was once it, a entity, like a... a entity beyond comprehension has fully embodied Kane and is going to probably live the rest of his life as Kane. Right. And Lena is going to accept that. She's seems. also going through her own changes because she's been infected by whatever radiation was in the shimmer and so she's mutating too and that's what cancerous cells are, they're mutations. Right. Yes. Uh We've been saying infected a lot, and I've been, it's not been sitting exactly right. Well, why don't you correct us on this, Jack? She's been uh, refracted. That is true. true. Everything is refracted in the shimmer. That's right. So the the shimmer acts as a giant refraction dome. It's like a prism, the physicist points out, (laughs) Josie. And that's why they can't radio in and out. Because it doesn't let the radio signal go through. It refracts it back into itself. That's why she likens it to a prism, because light waves are reflected or refracted back in. Mm-hmm. Kind of infinitely. And radio waves, too, apparently. That's a form Everything. of a light. That's a form of light. I don't know. My science is very social. <laughs> and they took the anthropologist from the book out I of the know. movie. So I feel very lost here. Yeah. There was another thing I wanted to bring up earlier. All right. We mentioned the entity was like a rainbow metal. Yeah. And at the very beginning of the film, Benedict Wong's character asks Lomax if it was a wow, the name Lomax. It's a Dr. Seuss character name. He asks if it was a carbon-based life form. Right. right. Lena's just like, I don't know. And I'm just thinking about... (laughs) Sorry, that was funny. I'm just thinking there's no way this thing is made of atoms, right? Right. I also don't know how he thinks Lena can answer that from the interaction she had with it. But it's kind of like atoms that are unknown to us. Because we do get to see it replicating Lena's blood cells. That's right. So it is partly her. I was figuring it breaks atoms down even to its smallest parts. To parts so small that, like, we can't even measure them, basically. Beyond quarks. They talk about that in the film, too. Oh, they do. How the shimmer will eventually break everything down to 
its smallest possible unit. Yeah, and so I'm imagining what it's doing is making, like, different arrangements of those smallest base units to just sort of, like, replicate and mimic what atoms do, but in its own, like, crazy alien way. So I don't think it's metal, even though it's shiny. I think that's more of a visual choice that they made just to kind of have something to visually represent something that is beyond our comprehension of representing. So the entity is more like an engine that replicates matter. And calling it an entity is kind of misleading, but it makes sense because we get to see two entities that it's replicated. We can just call it the Annihilation from now on. (laughs) The soundtrack calls it the Alien. Oh, that makes sense, too. It is an alien. It's, yeah. It's interesting how in this process of just completely breaking things down to their constituent cellular parts, it also blends DNA in weird ways, right? Because there's this theme of replicating and combining. Yeah. Like, when they, yes. find, when they find the plant people, the plant structures With- that are in the shape of human standing they have, there they have human like dna hox genes yeah. to create the kind of like physical mapping of a human body but they're plants and visually it's this really haunting scene where they're walking through a town that's overgrown in these rainbow flowers and then there's just human shaped branches and vines and leaves all over and lena's going through this stuff and i don't remember which character it is who says that if you tested those leaves i think josie says if you tested those leaves you would find human and plant dna and lena's like that's impossible and josie's just like yeah well it's it's, happening it's happening and this is while josie is starting to develop plants but like in her veins her veins are turning into flowers because she is seems to be consciously letting herself join join this thing which join the entity or join the alien she's not fighting against the refraction anymore and like i think the movie kind of wants you to think of it as what you would think of as a suicide but i think that you're actually supposed to think of it as just letting herself become part of this landscape landscape yeah it is interesting that she does, like, surrender to it, and it immediately takes her. Yeah. Right? She just and makes a decision. Once she's made the conscious decision, that's when it starts in earnest. Yeah. Really fast. Yeah. It takes, like, 30 seconds, maybe. Yeah, Lena follows her through an archway, and then when she comes out on the other side, Josie is not there, but also she's very much there, I assume, because she has become a part of the landscape. Lena kind of sees one of the closest plant people and it's got red flowers, which is a little different from all the other ones they saw. And she realizes that must be her. Yeah. And uh, the assertion of self, like who you are is a big part of the movie as well. Absolutely. What makes you, you? Yeah. And her effectively dying the second she decides not to keep fighting against the Shimmer is really interesting in that context. That's a really good point. And this whole idea of the annihilation of the self is repeated a few times throughout the movie. We can talk about that. 
But what you made me think of first was when Lena finds Dr. Ventress in the uh, lighthouse butthole, um, Dr. Ventress talks about how the entity will break down everything to its smallest parts. And then she says, causing the complete annihilation of the self. Oh. And so it made me think about cancer and how cancer replicates all of your cells but kills the rest of the healthy cells eventually because it takes all the energy away from it and until eventually you die and it's like your ego death right and so it's a complete annihilation of the self your ego yeah so that's partly what you're losing not just the physical aspect Mm -hmm. yeah that's something that this movie does really efficiently is kind of blending these themes and reinforcing those concepts through imagery. Something Jack said about Josie letting herself go and becoming part of the landscape, right, is really juxtaposed with all the other characters who are fighting against the alien, the annihilation, right? Because other people are are going through these horrendous traumas. We see, like, the, the moving entity inside the one soldier's torso. In the video they watched. And, yeah. like, people are going through pain and suffering trying to fight against it they're being attacked by these monstrous creatures that are like a alligator with shark dna and concentric teeth and stuff Josie's the only one who just kind of peacefully goes she says some of you are trying to fight it others are trying to flee from it i don't want any of those either of those things yeah she just wants to become a part of it i guess at that point when she's been connected to the shimmer for so for long enough that's right but she's not the only character that gives in to the shimmer there's a video in the lighthouse yes that has kane interacting with the entity after it's already made a replica of him right he's speaking to it yeah in in effect he is talking to himself that's right he's kind of teaching it how to be him also Not on purpose. And what you brought up, Jack, in that video, he's not sure of his own ego anymore. I disagree, though. I think it is on purpose because he tells the other him to find Lena. You're right about that. He is intending on removing himself from the equation. Yes. And he's giving the entity instructions to keep going because he's not sure which of them is the original at this point. Right. He's, he's making an executive decision. Yeah. We find out later that he's possibly been in the Shimmer for about a year. Yes. And by then, it's kind of made him go insane. Yeah. Because humans can't f- seem to function for very long within the Shimmer. But the alien entity seems to be able to leave and possibly survive. Although, I want to talk later on about the meaning of the entity being sick when the Shimmer exists and healing when it's gone but we'll get there yeah in the video kane says like i i thought i was a man but now i'm not so sure right trans allegory but uh yes and he says my body is like all screwy basically and my mind is cut loose right and he he's talking about how he's pretty messed up but he he asks he's talking to the entity he says uh i thought i was me but like uh uh, were you me? Was I you? Right? And that's just wild dialogue. He can't even tell if they're different, right? Yeah. 
I mean, they look the same. He's he's looking at a humanoid being with his exact features. Yeah. We find out at, later on, too, that Lena had been in the Shimmer for four months, which means Dr. Ventress had it as well. Yeah. Yes. Um, and the other characters at least a month or two. Yeah, that's right. Probably. It's hard to say. Yeah. But time but, seems to move differently inside the Shimmer, too. Yes. Uh, I'm glad we're bringing it back to time. We can keep talking about that. But so Kane being in there for probably a year, who knows what that would do to his mind. Well, I mean, we don't know how long original Kane was in there, but yeah, it could have been up to a year or maybe that would, I mean, we don't know at what point he was at the lighthouse making his final executive decision, but he was the last of the seven other people that went in there with him Four. it was either four or seven people. It was more than four, I think. Yeah, okay. it was like seven. It was like a small squad. He was the final survivor right. of those humans. I just want to mention how interesting it was. He's planning on removing himself from the equation by setting off a phosphorus grenade in his hand, right? Ooh. Yeah. And he asks the entity, like, oh, have you ever seen a phosphorus grenade go off? And he's like, no. He's like, uh, you might, it's pretty bright. You might want to shield your eyes, right? Yeah. He's being very considerate to yeah. the other cane. Well, he's trying to, I think he's trying to send out the other cane as to live as himself. Yeah. And it's a different, it's a clone with a different consciousness. It's an interesting take on what I'd say is the usual science fiction idea of like, transferring your consciousness into something he's not doing that he's just letting another body that looks like him go out into the world yeah. without his consciousness or maybe it has like fractions of his consciousness maybe but it does have a consciousness it's aware of itself yeah it's sentient yeah it understands language perfectly it seems like mm -hmm. or at least as perfectly as one can understand language right yeah, the nurturing nature Kane had toward it was really interesting because it's not directly harmful when right. it replicates you. When it replicated right. Lena, it attacks her after she attacks it. She says, though, afterwards that she doesn't think it was actually trying to attack her. It was replicating her movements. Yes. So as she ran away, it followed her and didn't know to stop. So as soon as she stopped using effort as soon as she stopped exerting effort it stopped too it was yeah. this weird mirroring effect that's right it even collapsed with her when she collapsed when it hit her in the face before that point it's because she had thrown something at it and it was following her movements and it's metal or something like that so when it hit her it was very strong chelsea it's made yes. of unobtainium please okay yes it is uh it, it, when I saw that scene, she hits it with the camera's tripod, right? Right. Okay, yeah. In my mind, it seemed like it was, uh, at least my interpretation was, it was like reacting to that stimuli the way that she would have. Right. With like a counter hit. Right. And then it stopped once she went unconscious. Yeah, it wasn't it trying to hurt her. It was just like kind of reacting instinctually and also replicating her movements 
And it did have a consciousness to it even then because it didn't always perfectly replicate her movements. I was watching that very closely. Yes. Yeah, you're right. When it hits her to the ground the first time, it doesn't fall with her. Right. It turns away and yes. just stands there. And then after a few moments, it lays down and tries to replicate her body language. Yes. Again. And like resets. Yeah. And... It's not always a perfect mirror. Sometimes right. it's repeating her. You know, that mirroring effect is something that is repeated throughout the movie. And I noticed it on this watch through. This is my third time seeing the movie. And there's a scene at the very beginning where Kane and Lena are at their dining room table holding hands. But you're seeing their hands through a glass of water. So it looks like yes. when Lena's hand moves, it is on Kane's side that you see yeah. the movement. If she moves her fingers from the left, you see the fingers on the right move through the reflection or the refraction in the mm. cylindrical glass of water. Yeah, it's and interesting. It's, you get that weird mirroring effect later on at the end of the movie, from beginning of the movie to the end of the movie, when the alien replicates Lena, it has this imperfect mirroring too. Yeah. And when she's going to pick up the uh, other grenade from the bag, it's mirroring her movements up to the point where she gets to the bag. And then when she bends down, it's just standing there watching her. There it's exerting its own autonomy to consciously try to understand what she's doing, I think. Yeah. And when she comes up with the grenade and seems to hand it out to it, that's when it holds its hand out to receive it. Yes. It is very quickly learning and then behaviors. When she touches it, she brings up one hand and so it, it does too, but then she guides its hand to hold the grenade and that's when it copies her image. Yeah. But then she pulls the mm. pin to trigger the grenade and runs away and the entity does not run. Yeah. So there it's, again, like I think it's trying to figure out the situation. And it's looking after her in confusion and bewilderment while the grenade is going off in its hands. And I was so fucking sad. I know. It <laughs> felt like a betrayal. It did. <laughs> to me. I think It's that... another way that Lena's betraying somebody that loves her. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I think it's It's her child. It's a copy of her. I think what it is, is the alien seems innocent yeah whenever we see it yes it does it doesn't like the effect it has on the world is evil in the sense that it is harmful to life as we know it because it's recreating an at um a biome that's good for it but not life on earth and it's not doing that on purpose it doesn't have a will it's exerting it just kind of happens around it. And this is why the cancer allegory is so perfect for this movie. Because cancer is a cluster of cells that just wants to replicate and live, right? Yeah. It is not intentionally Hurting killing the host. its host. It happens to kill the host in most cases, but it is not trying to. But we also fight cancer. In this case, the entity or alien is cancer and the host is the earth. Yes. <laughs> sure. The other beings and, and plants around it are the other cells that it's killing off. But yes. my point is that Lena is understandably afraid of this thing. Yeah. Right. Because not only does she not know what 
her replica is going to do, but she also knows explicitly that the Shimmer is... Inside of her. Yes, but no, my point is, the Shimmer is going to destroy all life on Earth. Yes. So You it's could not, say it's, it's going to obliterate it. I would say that it's going to completely decimate the planet, yes. Some sort of disintegration. No, so it's... I don't think the alien is intentionally trying to kill the Earth. This is not like a, a sci-fi story about an alien entity that is here to harm us. It is trying to survive, and its survival is detrimental to life on Earth. Yeah, I would say the like foremost traits the entity has when it replicates a person. Perfection. Uh, yes, but it's also like confusion and curiosity. Very much like you would describe, like, the innocence in a child, right? Yeah. They don't understand what's going on, but they're trying to. Right. And on top of that, it seems communal in the sense that it tries to be around people. And it wants to fit in, assimilate with humans. Yeah. I mean, I think that to some extent it wants a host. Once it already has one, though, like, it, it doesn't do like anything to Kane that we see no that's harmful they just have a conversation right so before we go we should come back to that i just wanted to say real quick that um when lena is afraid of the replica of her it mirrors the fear one might feel upon hearing a diagnosis about cancer yes and it goes along with this instinctual fear of the death of the self. Because if there's something out there exactly like you, a perfect clone, then you're not unique anymore. And it kind of like starts to break down your understanding of yourself and your mm. own ego. And it, it's a very instinctual feeling. Yeah, it's a primal fear in a lot yes. of ways. It's like that meme about how the Uncanny Valley implies that there was once a very human-like life form or set of life forms on the planet that existed and that we are primally coded to be afraid of it. I love that. It's great. <laughs> I love that. That's so good. Like something that is so close to human but slightly off, we have reason to be afraid of. Right. Yeah, very close, but very not okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I assume that thing was the Neanderthals. But... And the Homo erectus. Well, it could just be from, like, further back. Just like anything that has our face, basically. Yeah. Yeah. The face stealer, Jack. Oh, God. The face between. The copyright. <laughs> Uh, but I, th it, I think the alien is definitely distressing like that in the uncanny valley way. Yes. When Lena is sliding into the butthole, right? Yeah. And she goes down there. We as the audience can see Ventress in the dark, right? On oh, this pedestal yeah. thing. Yes. Her face looks like the shimmering metal that makes up the doppelgangers, yeah, right? Like it, with a full head of hair. Yeah, it it is Ventress except for like the top half of her face is like that unformed clay shimmering oil look. Wait, so do you think that's already a clone? I didn't even think about that before. Yes, yeah, absolutely. it is. 
But it has her consciousness. It is Ventress. It went inside of Ventress. Yeah. Okay, okay. So they, instead of being two separate forms, they merged. Yeah. I think she got so close to the epicenter that she, like, got a full blast of I bet you she fucking touched it. Probably. And she was the character who had cancer. Yes. Yeah. So it's symbolic. I bet you she reached her hand in its hole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what you do when you see a random hole. You gotta stick your hand Just in there. Just stick your head right in there. Yeah. yeah. It's the only helpful thing to do. Yeah, but by the time it turns its head to face Lena, it ha- it looks like Ventress again. It looks human again. And after she talks about the annihilation of the self, she completely disintegrates into this light refracting upon itself. And creating different shapes. She basically goes Nova. Yeah. yeah. And... It sounds bad. <laughs> so her... She experiences ego death. She kind of melts. Yeah. Yeah. She melts into a floating, like, Rorschach three-dimensional rainbow... Of lava. Orb of lava. <laughs> yeah. Replicating... Folding. Yeah. Form. And, yeah. So, Lena's... Uh, so, already. Wait, so what, there was like a flash forward to when Lomax is asking Lena about the shape and he's like, oh, can you describe the nature of the shape? And she sits there for a moment. No. Yeah, <laughs> she does not want to talk about it. No, she at, doesn't. At, during this, I mean, understandably, right, she's been through this horrible trauma and then suddenly... She's in this glass room with Lomax talking to her through a biohazard suit with a like 30 scientists on the other side just watching her. She is not feeling comfortable to share anything, understandably. Yeah. And back in the lighthouse, right? When Lena goes down there and finds Ventress, the walls are like some sort of geometrical, like the entire architecture of this chamber. Yeah. Is like some geometrical pattern. It right? looks like the xenomorph hive. Yeah. Yeah. And it it's like some black kind of metallic material everywhere. Who knows what that even is, right? I think it's those base components we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, I mean, that's its crash site. Yeah. But it's also replicating elements of itself into the matter around where it crashed. Dude, think about this. It crashed into the lighthouse, probably destroyed the lighthouse, but absorbed it and then reformed it. And that's why the lighthouse is both a building and then also like part plant, like tendrils and and vines and roots. Could be. Because it probably destroyed it and then rebuilt what was there on top of itself. There are elements in the book to suggest that you could be correct. Oh, it's so cool. The visual uh, creation of the lighthouse with the tree roots made of, like, plaster is so cool. Just to paint the listener a picture, it's a real gingerbread man inside a gingerbread house scenario. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. Yeah. Uh, So, Lena comes down here into a very alien room. Yeah. Ventress is sitting there by herself, right? And is saying a bunch of spooky stuff. She melts into this alien orb, which takes some of Lena's blood and then starts forming into a humanoid shape. And that's when Lena loses her shit, right? Understandably. Yeah, Yeah, when it becomes humanoid. Before that, 
She is mesmerized and just keeps moving closer to it. <laughs> yeah, because it's awesome looking. And with the way time moves in the shimmer, who knows how long she was actually standing there staring at that. Seconds or months or hours. Or minutes. Yeah, that's right. And uh, so it becomes humanoid. And that's when she yells like, no, right? And she shoots at it a bunch with a machine gun. And every bullet doesn't pass all the way through it. It goes like behind it, but it forms these tendrils as they as the it's bullets so curve wild. in all these directions. Yeah. So it has like these slender man tentacles coming all out of its back and it just starts moving with them. And it's just like, that's when Lena runs away because it's horrible. And it's like, hey, come back and get your bullets. You left these. Yeah. It disappears. Yes. And it then does. reappears up in the main part of the lighthouse when Lena leaves the butthole. And yes. it reabsorbs the bullets and the pathways, the tentacles, back into itself. That's right. I just thought that was really uncanny, just seeing it move with the tendrils, because that yeah. was not right. Yeah. And uh, another thing about that chamber that it created, the like layer under the ground, it's floating there, right? Ventress sitting there is an uncomfortable thing to see. It doesn't look right. And then the alien is floating above it as well. And it's also these kind of concentric shapes, right? That's it's yes. this rotating, roiling entity that has like openings, but it also looks like it's turning in on itself. When Lena sets off the phosphorus grenade in its hand and runs away, it seems upset about it. It's like, bummer, man. Yeah, it seems upset that this is happening, that it's catching on fire. And it I feel like it knows it's about to die. Yeah. It climbs back down the hole. After right. it touches Cain, Cain's remains. Yes, it like empathizes with Cain yeah. because it's experiencing what Cain experienced. Yeah. Well, I think it's experiencing what Lena's feelings are. Yes, that's right. Oh, yeah, good point, because it has some of her consciousness. Right. And then it goes back down into the chamber and, like, curls back up in a fetal position on the pedestal. It's birthplace. It's like right. it's home and it's yeah. birthplace. Yeah, it curls up there, which I think is really interesting. I think it was hoping that going back there might help or save itself yeah. somehow. Or it's just reverting to, like, this primal state. Where it wants to feel like a last moment of comfort. Yeah, maybe. The whole thing is so sad to me. Yeah. I, it's sad on many levels. I, I grieve every time I see that. And I'm like, Lena, you bastard. How could you? Yeah. It was trying to destroy the Earth. It might no. not have been trying Sorry. to. I, you're right. I didn't well, mean to say that. It was going to destroy the Earth. Yes. But it seems like what destroyed the Shimmer was the lighthouse being destroyed, not the entity. Yeah, so I want to talk about that before we move on. Because we get another mirror effect where Cain sacrificed himself and let his double go out. Lena sacrifices her double and gets out. And that process also seems to destroy the Shimmer. Well, what destroys the shimmer is not the entity dying because that once it takes on Lena's form, it kind of has autonomy and exists separate from right the shimmer, the collective. Yeah, what actually 
destroys, seems to destroy the shimmer, like we were saying, is the lighthouse being destroyed as the entity that was the Lena clone starts touching the lighthouse as it's like trying to right itself and then trying to uh, go back to its home and it's destroying the source like the signal that's creating the shimmer right and if they had destroyed the lighthouse together they both could have left i bet i don't know maybe because kane is still alive when the shimmer dies shimmer kane is still alive exactly the replicant right he was outside of the refraction yeah if they had both destroyed it and left so, but why, this is the question I want to get to, though. Why is Shimmer Kane getting sick for being outside of the Shimmer, but then when the Shimmer disappears, he's recovered? Well, we already mentioned that it's, like, symbolic of a spontaneous remission for a cancer patient. Sure. I mean, if, it, if the answer is simply it's what makes sense with the story, that's totally fine. But I'm trying to figure out if there's, like an in-world logic reason why it was leeching energy from him when the shimmer, the cancer, was gone. Well, I don't think the creations the entity makes are perfect, right? Because it still has to learn and everything, and it, it makes things that are strange. Yeah. Right? right. But it's very adaptable, right? It can change its shape really easily. And so I think it was probably the form of Cain that it made was just not perfect enough and just eventually failed. And then it fixed itself just over time. It adapted to it. But they, I feel like they say that as soon as the shimmer disappeared, he instantly got better. Is that, is they that did. right? Yeah. They oh, did. they did? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe it like is a simulacrum, like we were saying. They are linked in some way. And it's kind of like how the whole idea of cells seeking their own self-destruction, if left to its own devices for too long, it starts breaking down. But because it was already adapting and becoming Kane, and it was outside of the Shimmer, that link was severed. And it stopped trying to continuously replicate itself like the Shimmer was. That's when its organs failed. Right. Okay. So it stopped that process and like immediately healed and became, it kind of took on a solid state and stopped being in a constant state of transformation. So the existence of the Shimmer was leeching its power because it was not in the Shimmer, but when the Shimmer was destroyed, then it was able to like harness all of its power? Um, What I'm saying more is that there was a link between them. And that link was causing oh. a continuous transformation. Okay. That was eventually causing him to break down. I see. It was like he was like compelled, not on purpose, but just in form to keep trying to mutate. Right. His DNA was constantly trying to and do something new. The source of that signal was cut off, so he stopped trying and he like. Took on kind of a stable uh, form. Okay, yeah. Yeah. If the Lena replicant had gotten out before the lighthouse was destroyed, she would have survived. I think if she had stayed in the Shimmer, she would have been broken down too. Because when the Shimmer goes away, 
and starts breaking down, we see a lot of the structures that were being created breaking down. Right, there are these crystals growing out of the beach, and they start to shatter and yeah. like melt, basically. I will say this, a, a something of a silver lining, I guess, for the situation, or a at least a real-world reason why it might be good that Shimmerlina didn't get out. If it had, they both would have probably been subjected to a amount of testing that would have been horrendous to behold. Probably. Like, Lena's all... I've already described Lena's situation just being probably the original who got out and is already going through this whole intensive, traumatic experience. If two of them came out, they would have been freaked out. Because she doesn't tell them that Kane is a replica or a simulacra. Or that she was replicated. Right. She didn't explain any of this stuff because she probably knows how bad it would be. She was intentionally omitting uh, parts of the narrative to protect herself and the replicant. All right, guys, I could probably talk about this movie for approximately another five hours, but we should probably head into the smithy. Welcome to the Smithy, where we each forge a rating for this movie after we share an epic moment or feature from the film. Chelsea, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and then give us a rating from 1 to 10 refractions? Yes, I do. <laughs> so my epic feature is how all of the characters are kind of hounded by death <laughs> throughout their whole mission. and a lot for a lot of them it takes the form of a predator um in one case it's a crocodile hybrid <laughs> crocodile shark Cro yeah. sharkodile sharkodile thank you and in another instance it's a zombie bear that's also kind of cass <laughs> it's a zombie bear with cass's consciousness there you go as she was dying. A reflection of Cass's consciousness. Right. Cass is that bear's spirit animal. <laughs> yes. And the way they are attacked by the predators attacks them at their core self or in a place or in a way that is very integral to their being. So, um... Josie is attacked by the crocodile and it is trying to drown her by attacking her backpack, which has all of her measurement implements in it. And those seem to be very important to her work as a physicist and her role in the team. And the nice detail is that later on her backpack is repaired with duct tape. Yeah, it's great. You can see how it's shredded when she comes out and they repair it with duct tape that they find at the base camp. We don't see them repair it. It's just a nice, like, detail that they add. Right. And eventually she has to kind of learn to live without that and just kind of use her mind. But that kind of brings her closer to being one with the Shimmer. Yes. And 
the two people that are attacked by the bear are Cass and Anya. Cass's throat is ripped out and her womb is ripped open. So she lost her child, Cass did. So it's symbolic wounds. The throat is kind of like her expression of her feelings. She was the most expressive about what had happened to her. And so that's been taken away from her, you know. Poor bears just like throat meat. <laughs> but it didn't eat her. No, I know. And it didn't eat Anya either. It just attacked them out of pain and anguish and desperation. It was it was hurting and so it was lashing out at others. Anya I, I it's hard to know how to describe this because it's it's so visceral and disturbing. But it attacks Anya in her genitals. And every time I like scream in pain as if I'm being attacked myself. And it also tears her throat out. I get it. I mean, whenever I see like somebody like grinding a rail and then falling on their crotch, I feel it too. <laughs> it's like my favorite show, Ouch My Balls. Right. It's fair. But uh yeah, that's like the core of her womanhood, maybe, and her ability to express herself too. I don't know. It's there's more we could unpack there. <laughs> The way you describe the motivation of why the bear is attacking them reminds me a lot of the demons in Princess Mononoke. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Disgusting little creatures. Soon you will all feel my hate and suffer as I have suffered. Yeah, they're cursed or consumed by hatred. But in this one, they're blessed. <laughs> yes, it's true. Yes. But, yeah, so... They're kind of hounded by death in this way throughout. And it's like, it's the fear of physical harm, but also the fear of losing yourself and kind of that desolation. And I thought that was just such an impactful feature of the film. It's something that really lingers with you. Mm -hmm. This movie uses horror very efficiently. Yes. It kind of brings up very visceral reactions in the viewer. So this movie is visually stunning and uses interesting cinematography to help you empathize with the uh, characters in the film, like I mentioned before, and kind of put you in their place and help you feel their disorientation, which is really neat. And... The music is amazing, too. Totally. Uh, I'm going to give it 8 out of 10 refractions. Very nice. Yes. I it, I think it deserves it. How about you, Jack? Do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and then give us a rating from 1 to 10 refractions? Yeah, I'd be happy to. My epic moment and or feature is a feature... It's how brilliant the entity is, like, in its beauty, right? Yes. It, it, and perfection. Yeah. It makes things so pretty, right? When they're inside the shimmer, well, first off, the wall of the shimmer is 
pretty already. It's rainbow and it's sort of like an oil slick that moves upwards. Yeah. And when they're inside of the shimmer, in the beams of light, you see rainbows. Reflected on the surface of the water, you see rainbows. Little, like, stumps that would be growing out of the water, if you look closely, are actually, like, amethyst crystals and stuff. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. And then growing over, like, trees and on buildings and stuff are these rainbow-colored mosses and, like, funguses that are so cool. It just makes, like, a lot of really, like, interesting, pretty stuff to look at. And it's kind of awesome, right? All the flowers it makes, and it makes those, like, flower deer and flower people. And when you actually see it, the alien itself, its body is a really interesting Ouroboros type of Rorschach test, like I was saying, that... Like, she's just staring at it, Lena, and gets closer to it. And, like, I get it. It's really cool. The shimmer even makes people cooler because it gives them sweet tattoos. That's right. Oh, and the Ouroboros tattoo is like the entity feeding upon itself. Yeah. And uh, it makes replicas of people. And, it, like I said earlier, it has that sort of innocence to it. So in in a lot of ways it is unnatural and in some ways it is making me appreciate more like the brilliance and beauty of nature. And so I think it's just so cool. It's a really fascinating bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I I like it. So that's got to be my epic feature. Nice. It's just an appreciation post on what the movie is about. <laughs> <laughs> and uh Taking that into consideration, the characters are really awesome. They're all very memorable. Like we said earlier, I have to give it props for telling a lot of story and having good themes with what feels like very little dialogue throughout the whole thing. And uh, the soundtrack is just so killer. I've used it in RPG, tabletop RPGs. And uh, I just like the whole thing so much. I think I'm going to have to rate it 9 out of 10 refractions wow a solid rating better than solid rock hard what about you jamie what is your epic moment and or feature and rating out of 10 refractions (laughs) well thank you for asking i think my epic moment is going to be the scene in the old research facility where they have watch the videotape of the soldiers that had been in there previously. And then they go into the pool room and they see the effects of the shimmer in all of their horrendous glory. And against the back wall of this pool, there is the former soldier now turned into like an explosive bloom of plants and mosses and bone that is merged with the wall. And it's just this beautiful, haunting image that always sticks with me. Every time I think of this movie, that's the scene that comes to my head. And just the first time I saw it and that visual is the first time you're really shocked. Maybe the second time you're really shocked and horrified. When you see the videotape with the weird guts it's definitely creepy, but then when you see the full effect of what the Shimmer can do, yeah. and what happens to bodies, how it is 
kind of the ultimate body horror, right? Yeah. It, what it does to this guy is fuse him to this wall, almost like nuclear eradication. Right. And he's merged with the wall of the pool. His skull is like tearing out. This is a horrendous scene, but it is visually so cool. The design of this annihilated body is just, it sticks in my head. And I think it is gorgeous in its brutality. It's spooky and enjoyable to look at at the same time. Yeah, it's, it has got that quality of unknowable horror that is hard to take your eyes away from. And I just really have to commend them. All the stuff Jack said about the set design and the visual design of the film it is a gorgeous movie in its horror. It's bad and it's good. Yeah. yeah. And with all that in mind, I think I'm going to give this movie 10 out of 10 refractions. Wow. Nice. This is a perfect Jamie movie. This is the exact type of horror that I love. It has got all the elements that I really enjoy. It has got this sparse storytelling that doesn't just force all of its themes. It The themes are really apparent, and they're but they're examined well throughout the movie. And then it has a lot more going on where they're not just like explaining everything to you. They're giving you a lot of information to work with and you can start to piece together things. The horror is unknowable and it's scarier because of that. The acting is really good. There's a few elements where like, I don't think Oscar Isaac and Natalie Portman have the best chemistry, but I'm looking past that because I really enjoy their characters. And I think in a way, the stilted part of their relationship actually really works. I think it gives you, like, a reason to imagine why Lena might have cheated. Well, yeah, true. And all of the interactions between all of the characters are kind of awkward. Yes, and I think that that is... I'm going to assume that that's a choice, and I think it's a very effective choice. I assumed the same thing. But... Probably has to do with that isolation theme we were talking about earlier. Yeah. They're distant from each other. People are really uncomfortable. There's the character of Anya, who, while we were watching the film, we kind of pieced together she might be a recovering alcoholic because when everyone's drinking beers, she's drinking a root beer. Yeah. She has these kind of sudden outbursts out of nowhere that seem like they might be coming from somebody who's experiencing a really tough time coping with a situation where previously she might have like gone back to alcohol but it's not like by the way like Anya's an alcoholic like let's make that a really overt thing this is just something that we piece together that may or may not be in the text of the film but it leaves you the room to interpret characters actions and it's not just force feeding you the act the interactions or the reasons that things are happening Everything about the movie is like the perfect expression of the horror of the unknowable. Yes, exactly. So that's why I'm giving this a perfect 10. It is a rating that I rarely give out, but this movie just fucking rules. I think it deserves it. Yeah, totally. Well, guys, do you have anything else you want to add about the film? So much, but I think we should probably end it there for now. I think you're right. So with that being the case, we'd like to thank you all for joining us again here on Swords and Satire. 
We really appreciate all of our listeners who join us and enjoy the show. And if this is your first time listening, or if you've been a long-time listener and you don't already, you can follow us on social media, at Swords and Satire, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's where we announce movies every week. We post memes for every film we watch. And it's a great way to get in touch with us if you want to chat about any of the movies or episodes. And if you have the means and you'd like to support the show, you could head over to patreon.com slash swords and satire and join our patron community. You would become a part of the beautiful mass that is our collective. And you would gain access to all of the cool bonus episodes and voting on a movie we watch each month. It's awesome. That's right, but if you don't have the means to support us on Patreon, another great way you can help us is to spread the biomass. The <laughs> satire mass. Yes. Go out and tell your friends and family about the show. One will become two, and then two, four, eight, sixteen, thirty-two, right? Just go out, spread the word, then you can watch the things that we watch together. It's a perfect replication. Exactly. Your friendship will refract. That's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> it will annihilate. <laughs> In a good way, though. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, then, until next time. Hail, Hail Crom! Crom!